I planned to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags-to-riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires, many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school, and with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. All right. So we're ready to go, I think, here, Q. We've got, uh, we got our buddy Jonathan Slane on board here with us, and he's going he's gonna, to uh, tell his story and do all the right stuff for us to be uh, another epic Ditch Digger CEO. What do you think? Yeah, I actually think so, too. I, I mean, of course, you know, everybody that you uh, are connected with are really good at what they do. And I, and one of the things that he is a, a subject matter expert at, and this is what I really feel like a lot of people need to hear is recession. Like, you know, granted, we're going to hear his story, but I'm so excited to hear just the mindset that he has as far as him assisting businesses uh, through their specific recession and how they did it and and uh, actually, his story on it, too, is actually pretty inspiring. So I'm looking forward to it. So we want it all, right? We yeah, want we want all. everything. Even though he's in Cleveland right now, we want everything. Exactly. We're going to squeeze every ounce of juice out of this dude, all right? So, Jonathan, welcome to Ditch Digger CEO, brother. Thanks for being here today. Rock on. Thanks for having me. So we're gonna we're gonna go you know we we always go into you know the the, the start of the uh, the mind of Jonathan and, and each guest all right we want to understand where it all where where you were where, where the foundation of your principles were built um you know any any mentors as a young guy and you know people that inspired you to be who you are today um, so let's start with your upbringing man you you're from Cleveland originally yep from Shaker Heights Ohio and born and raised here. And then uh, really first mentor uh, were my parents and mm -hmm. my parents are still alive, still live about six minutes away from me here and help out a lot with raising our kids to this day. My dad was actually just trying to call me. Uh, we're on the uh, once a day plan. And so I think that really was foundational for me growing up and to where we've gotten to. And uh, tell us a little bit about all that. Then your 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 dad, mom. What did they do uh, growing up for a living? Uh, you know what what did uh, what did you think of all that? And then uh, family wise, uh, brothers, sisters, all that kind of stuff around you. And you know what what were the what the values that, that were ingrained in you from that upbringing? Yeah, for sure. So my dad was a used car salesman, 
I think that some of that is still in me to this day. So um, I, it's funny. I'll go out appliance shopping with my wife and we'll be up at Best Buy. And she didn't know that you can still try to uh, haggle at Best Buy. Uh, but I didn't know that either. <laughs> That's the first nugget for today. <laughs> Man, you can, yeah, if you're if you're up at Home Depot or you're up at Lowe's or Best Buy, you can definitely ask the manager and usually get at least 10 percent off. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Um, but the, uh, yeah, so the, uh, my mom, uh, worked in daycares. So, um, she said she used to change diapers for a living, but really a lot of what she did was to help, um, raise lots of kids and just loves kids. And so to this day is still helping us with raising our girls. Our girls are six and eight years old, but growing up, uh, my sisters were 12 and 16 years older than me. Wow. I guess. Yeah, I guess they actually still are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but but they. Um, so really, I grew up with three moms, is what I tell everybody. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so still tight with them. Uh, my uh, my big big sister uh, still works with me, uh, actually in the recession business and the auto bond consulting business. So helps keep me straight and organized um, with everything that I'm doing. Which sister is uh, that? What, what's her name? That's that's Wendy. Oh, yeah, I know Wendy. So, you, you know Wendy. Wendy's awesome. Uh, yeah, and then, um, so Wendy's married to Jay, my brother-in-law, and I think you know Jay pretty well, too. They're, they're a great couple. Uh, so um, really, growing up with them, like I said, uh, our family was really tight. And I think the thing that kind of lands on me is that when I got married... I understood a few things that were different about my family, at least from my wife's family, in that, like I mentioned earlier, we're all talking um, generally once a day. And I think my dad probably talks to each of the kids at least once a day, probably even more with my sisters. Uh, and then I'm talking to my um, sisters on a daily, weekly basis, at least. And for my wife, I understand that they'll go weeks at a time without talking. Mm -hmm. And not saying um, either one is um, any better than the other. It's just funny to me that that was kind of how you grow up one way or the other. I don't know what it was like for you, Gary, but um, yeah, I just. So. You know, that's a, that's and that's an awesome point right there. Right. Stop right there. That's a great point. You know, I, I love my sisters, my brother, my dad, and, and still yet don't talk to them enough. When I when I do talk to them every, let's say, week or two weeks, whatever it might be, my sisters, heck, it might be a, every couple months or so. Right. Even. And, and uh, as much as I love them, I love talking to them, but yet you don't do it enough. I, I don't do it enough for sure. So that's a great point to, to, to think about, right, Q? I mean, these are, these are the people in your life. You, they're, they're your blood. You love them. You know, they're like, like uh, nobody else, right, other than God probably. And, and boy, how, how do you not communicate more often with them, right? Because we only have so much time on this earth. And why, why wouldn't we, right, talk to our dad, mom every day, right? And my, mom, my mom's not alive today, but... I talked to her pretty much, but not as much as I look back, not as much as I should have, right? Mm. So what a, what a great point right there, RQ. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, I would say in terms of values, uh, in our family, it was just loyalty. Um, I remember that always being big and honesty and integrity. And my dad always defined that as um, what you do when nobody else is looking or nobody else knows. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, ingrained in me. In fact, I 
was looking behind me in my office uh, the a couple of uh, months ago. He wrote that on a pad of paper in my office and just left it for me. And so I have it hanging up on my wall just to remind me the importance of that. Um, whether it's making sure that um, everything from if you're in a public restroom and you don't leave it a mess, you always leave it better than when you found it. It's mm-hmm. just little things like that that I think for me, um, it comes to me at the strangest times. But um, I was just thinking about that yesterday. Do you do, you, uh, do like I do that? I'm, I, I'm the same mindset in many ways. And I get this thing, I, I always leave the bathroom better and, and, and often clean the, the, the toilet bowl too you, you for, from yeah, others so I, before I was, me. I was, I was so, on a flight yesterday and I'm thinking, <laughs> um, I'm thinking so many people don't do that. And I think that that's crazy because everybody knows the last person in the bathroom on an airplane before that. And yet people still walk out and they're not even ashamed and can't go anywhere. So I, it's like, I, I just really can't figure out how people think it's cool to go in the airplane bathroom, leave it a mess, walk out, walk back to their seat. Everybody knows where that. So I don't know. <laughs> you just put them on a on a rampage right there. He's like, speaking of that, actually coming back from Denver. I thought he was going to say I was gross or something. Right? Like most people are thinking, whoa, that guy's gross. He's actually cleaning the toilet bowl for the people before him, right? No. <laughs> Pretty cool. Uh, I like to I like to tuck into it before. And after every passenger. So that's why I always get a seat right next to the uh, the bathroom on a flight. That is funny. That is funny. That is funny. Jonathan, uh, one, of the, one of the things you just kind of alluded to, uh, at least to me, and um, I, I know we'll probably go back and forth on a lot of this, but um, specifically, of course, that integrity, that's kind of what it sounds like you have, like, you know, um, from that standpoint, because that's what they, your, your mom and your dad instill into you, but also communication is huge, especially in business. Um, it was that something that assisted you as you started to grow, let's say in your first job that you had, or, you know, cause I'm pretty sure in the first jobs you had, you probably did extremely well. You're probably one of the best of the best, especially with a, with a dad that, that knows how to, um, articulate sales, if you will, you know, from a car salesman perspective, but integrity and communication. Can you talk a little bit more about that in the business? And, and aspect? wait a minute. And, and just so you know, I mean, I, I, from my view, my paradigm, I've not always heard of used car salesmen and te- integrity yeah, in the same true. in the Absolutely. same uh, sentence, really. But uh, you know, they're they're definitely out there. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, his dad is one of them, right, John? Sure. Yeah. It, so for me, uh, integrity when it comes to business, I see it a lot as a core value, and it drives me crazy from the standpoint that I don't like core values that are super self evident. Because I think that so many companies have uh, integrity, fun, and teamwork as their core values. Mm-hmm. And my my beef with it is that it doesn't let you tell your story. Mm. In other words, when I say integrity, everybody's like, yep, got it. Integrity, super important. Mm-hmm. And that's table stakes. And so everybody's already moving on to what else do you got? Like, right. you know, sure. what's the core value? So for me, uh, I think what... I'm not saying you can't have integrity as your core value. It's just, is there another way to market it? Is there another way to frame it that's Mm -hmm. a little more unique? In other words, could we say it a different way um, that allows you to tell your story? So for me, instead of saying a core value is integrity, I'm already starting to play with this no use car salesman here type language. Mm -hmm. And then people are like, well, what's that all about? And I think then I could tell Whoever wants to know, whether it be a prospective client, whether it be you guys, whether it be my employees. Look, my dad was a car salesman 
And I know that they get a bad rap, but let me tell you why integrity is important to me and what my dad taught me about integrity. I like it. So that lets it wrap in a different way that makes it interesting that you stub your toe on. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, And so I'm big on that in the same way that if the value is integrity, just call it um, no airplane bathrooms. And then, (laughs) again, you get to tell that story. You get to make people laugh, have some fun with it in a way that people can remember. Because I also think that, you know, I'm traveling all over the country. I, I do all the consulting work with all these different companies. And if integrity is your core value, I just don't think employees really get it or engage mm. with it. But if you give them a hook, like no airplane bathrooms, mm. then like when you're doing a paving job and they're using the portage on and somebody else goes in there, it's like, man, that we didn't leave that like we need to because we're all about the no airplane bathroom thing around here. So let's, you know, let's take another shot at that. Sure. Um, I like it. So. I hope that answers the question somewhat in terms of where I'm coming from with integrity, because I just want to be careful that people don't um, use it in a way that's trite, Mm because it is really important to me. And I feel like sometimes we minimize that when we just use the word and move on too quickly. Sure, sure. So tell me me about your first jobs. Did you you work as a kid? Did you you go through eight years of college and then got a job? Tell us about that. No, I worked. uh, First job was doing computer consulting for, um, for, uh, I'm trying to think of a politically correct way to say old people, but for old people, (laughs) and it was when computers were first, um, starting to come out. Like I remember Apple 2GS and the first Packard Bell computers. Um, and I remember people in the neighborhood were getting first computers and I would go over to their houses and help them figure out how to get online how to do basic word processing, all of those things. And really just by referral, Mm -hmm. um, started with um, a woman in the neighborhood and from there picked up a bunch more jobs. How old Uh, were you then? And uh, what type of of coin did you make there? Yeah, so I remember being able to, uh, I remember saving up for my first car with that gig. So Mm -hmm. I know that my dad um, must've driven me um, for the first couple of years. So probably around 14. Wow. And I don't remember, I, I don't remember exactly how much I was making Gary, but I do remember that I saved up enough from that job to buy my first car. Awesome. And when I first saw her, she was sitting by the curb, the sunlight reflected off of her perfect body. She was a 19, <laughs> 89 Buick Skylark sedan. Oh, nice. <laughs> I like it. All right, all right. Yeah. And uh, uh, what well, that thing set you back? 2,000 bucks. 2,000 bucks. <laughs> all right. So I bought it from my aunt. Nice. And so so, uh, so these these people, these older people around, and they might have been uh, <laughs> younger than, than, well, much younger than me at the time to be old people for, for a 14-year-old, right? Uh, you know, how did how'd you connect with them? What, what was it like, uh, you know, trying to connect with these people of a, of a different generation? And how'd you do that? And, and tell us a little bit about, uh, your, you know, how, what you felt like then and what you think they felt like. I So for me, I was listening to uh, your podcast episode with uh, – with Jimmy from Jimmy John's. Mm-hmm. And what he said in that was that, you know, there were certain, um, cause you were asking about his energy yeah. and you're kind of beating him up about it. If I remember correctly, sure. and you're like, man, where'd you get this energy? You know, you're so full of energy. And is that something that you learned along the way? And how does that work? And he was, he just, uh, said, you know, I think it was something I was born with. Mm-hmm. Um, it was God given. Yeah. And so when you asked me the question of how I connected with them or connect with other people, I do think that that's something I was probably just born with. Mm-hmm. I've always um, just been kind of able to flex um, 
my behavior, my personality, I think to be able to adjust quickly to other people. And so I think it's really born more out of Mm self-awareness because I don't necessarily think I have um, super high EQ, um, but I do think I'm self-aware enough to know when I'm talking too much or when I'm not talking enough and to be able to modulate that to, um, to fit with whoever I'm working with. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, think of a young kid, again, 14 year old, 15 year old kid connecting to older people in the neighborhood, getting their confidence, right. That they, he can actually teach them how to, how to start up these computers. I wish I had you around back then. Cause I can, I can remember the first, <laughs> the first, uh, computer we bought and I was trying to figure it out. I actually, I figured out how to put it all together and hook it up. And I think, man, this is, this is kind of cool. I might, might, maybe I'm into this stuff. And, uh, I, I walked away from it and never looked at it again. Still today don't have a laptop. <laughs> But but again, I, you know, I, I, I if I had a kid like you around, maybe I, I could have called little Jonathan and he would come by and show me how to go a little further with it. That's uh, funny. But uh, that's the way it was. So no, I, I can't imagine. You know, uh, some of these people look back and think about, hey, remember that? Remember that punk kid, that 14, 15 year old kid we paid uh, three dollars an hour to, to to teach us how to offer. Where's he at today, right? And probably a lot of them probably know where you're at and are pretty pretty excited for you. So. Anyway, yeah, so that's that's really cool. I can visualize that story. How cool it have been knocking on doors for you and and your and your dad to to you know your dad and mom to be looking at you, watching you do this stuff. It had to be a blast for them too. You know? Yeah, I remember my dad always being um, super supportive. And I mean, there were other jobs like paper routes even before that. And I I know um, he was always willing to drive me around or help me figure out all those pieces. Uh, but absolutely. I had a lot of jobs as a kid. Uh, the next one I really remember was um, I was a car valet. Sure. Oh, and okay. so that makes me think um, everybody really should work for tips at some point mm-hmm. in their career um, to just understand what it's like being in the service business and being accountable for for tips. I really think that that's critical. I think that was pretty formative understanding um, where people are coming from. Uh, and I'm an especially good tipper to this day and always will be because it's a tough gig, man. Yeah. You know, and, and you started with newspaper routes as I did. And, and you know, it, there wasn't a lot, it wasn't big money in, in delivering newspapers, right? When I, when I did, it was it was six bucks a week or so uh, for, for 32 newspapers. And on Sundays, they're big, big newspapers, right? It was, a, it was, I had to do two trips with my basket, my basket, uh, uh, my basket bike, right? All these baskets all over the bike. But uh, but my tips at the end of the two weeks, I'd collect every two weeks and it might be another five or six bucks, maybe 10 bucks in tips. So all in all, it could be as much as like, uh, you know, 20, you know, 20 bucks or so in two weeks, maybe 22 or three bucks in two weeks. And that was big money for me as a kid. But again, it was all about, del- you know, delivering that paper and putting it inside their door because that customer wanted that or making sure you got underneath the deck for this customer. And and this this customer wanted you not do a couple knocks on the door before you before you drop the paper so they know it's there. How, how long did right? you do it? How long did you do a a, a, um, a paper out? About 10, 10 years old to thirteen, and I subbed it out to my brother after right. that for a while. And now, what about you, Jonathan? How long did you do a paper out? I don't remember it lasting more than a couple months. Yeah, right. I I, re- I remember starting in winter. Yeah, uh, in Cleveland, okay, and that good sucked. for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I too, that's probably the only thing I could say. I did a paper route. I lasted one week, and I was like, I'm done with that. I couldn't, I couldn't do it at all. I re- I vividly remember because, like you said, you have to put it on the on the um, you know, you got to put it on on the. What is it? What is it called? You know, the stairs or whatever the case may yeah, be. Inside the door. Yeah, inside or the whatever. door, or whatever. And I just vividly remember trying to throw it. Uh, of there because I try to be all you know efficient yeah. and then 
Um, all of a sudden, you know, a dog comes out and I just call my mom, like, I can't do this no more, you know, I was, you know, but it did, it did show me appreciation for work ethic. So the, I'm getting to a point of Jonathan, I wanted to know, like with all of the, you know, the, the valet and, and then the, uh, you know, you also being a, you know, a, a paper boy, so to speak, what were some, um, I guess I don't want to say core values cause we kind of talked about that, but, uh, uh, um, some tips, if you will, of. Uh, well, I guess work ethic or what's some things you've learned that you utilize in your entrepreneur career now? I guess that's what I'm getting to. Yeah. So uh, as I think through that, like I have a crazy strong work ethic and the the part like so I know that grit is a big thing right now. Like you need to have grit. And then I know it's popular to talk about hustle and you got to just hustle and have some side hustle going. I as I think through that. One of the things that I think would be most helpful to the audience is just understanding. I also think that sometimes that super strong work ethic can work against you in being an entrepreneur, because sometimes I wish I would have given up earlier on something that just wasn't working mm -hmm. and just cut bait and moved on. Because there have been some times in my career where I've been trapped by the fact that if I just work harder, I know I can work my way through anything and make it work. But sometimes until you can't. I've gone yeah, well, sometimes you just um, you dig the ditch so deep. Um, that, yeah, I mean, you come through on the other side and you win. But at what cost? You've used such a tremendous amount of resources to get it done. So I think that we need um, to maybe swing the pendulum back the other way. Um, this is for me personally. Sometimes mm -hmm. there have been a few projects I've invested in that I wish I had cut bait earlier. Mm. Sometimes you That's can't good. see beyond the ditch. You know, you dig the ditch too deep. You can't see beyond, and the ditch fall caves in on you. Both sides yeah, well, sometimes it, it's just our our behavioral profile, <laughs> man. I mean, like the I'm such a on the disc profile. I'm such a D. I'm so such a you know. I just think that if I can, I'll just keep digging deeper, and I'll eventually get there. Yeah. Um, no, I and I think sometimes with perspective, it's like you know, man, I was digging this crazy big hole, um, mm -hmm. but if I just moved it. Um, one degree to the north, I, I would have been done in a day, whereas yeah. <laughs> I was digging for a decade. So I think sometimes, too, um, I just want the audience to think through that. That's good. And I think that's part of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. I mean, if something's just not working, um, changing to something else may be your best tact. Um, but I think society is just in a place right now where if you give up on something, you're a failure and nobody wants to tell their friends. And so th that's a problem. So too. so I think, you know, will you continue on the ditch uh, scenario since we was the kind of part of our title there anyway? Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's kind of it, now I look back and I say, is it is is there you know time that should be spent, um, you know, looking way above the ditch, of course. And then is there is, is there other people that you should be getting to look at the direction of the ditch ditch with you more often? Right. That's something I think we didn't, I didn't know early on, and and I think a lot of you know a lot of people that are they're competitive, hard driving. They think I got all the work ethic in the world, so they're going to get it done. Even if it's a hard way, they're going to get it done. But they spend you know crazy time you know going the wrong direction. So again, I think you, you mentioned a great point there, Jonathan. You know. Yeah, I think uh, Dave Rendell says this, but it's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar, <laughs> and so a big a big part of it is just. You know, do you have um, consultants? Do you have mentors? Do you have a board of advisors that you can climb a tall tree with every mm -hmm. once in a while and yep. just look out at your business or yeah. your life uh, and just say, am I going in the right direction? Am I still going in the direction I wanted to go mm -hmm. in? 
And is there an easier way? And I think um, sometimes we're so busy bushwhacking through the jungle of life or the mm-hmm. jungle of business that we just don't go climb a tall tree and see that there is a much easier way. There's already a trail, but sure. yet we're bushwhacking our way and we might be parallel yeah. um, a couple of feet away from where the trail is and we just don't even know it's there. Exactly. Did you come up with Fair that point. quote? That's a good quote right there. That was a nugget, man. Bushwhacking your way through. You need to get on the tree with your with your mentors. I love that one, man. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, so the, the climbing a tall tree thing, I don't think it is brand new. The bushwhacking piece, uh, my little <laughs> trademark. Although right before the show, I did sign over all rights to my life and business in perpetuity to Gary. So you did uh, absolutely. Guess, so it's ours now. now. That's now Gary's yeah. and yours. So tell us, tell us about your time. You know, college and and then your first in the first gig. Yeah, so uh, in college, uh, I went to the University of North Carolina on a scholarship. And uh, through that experience, I would say one of the biggest things was I was actually the student attorney general in college, which means it's a fancy way of saying that I was the head prosecutor for the school. So (laughs) super popular guy. But (laughs) at at Carolina, we have an honor court. And so anytime um, you're caught um, plagiarizing, um, using drugs, um, harassment, assault, all of those cases, and there's about 400 a year, go to the honor system, the honor court. And I was the head prosecutor, so had 20 students, student um, attorneys working for me, and I would decide whether or not there was enough evidence to send a case forward to the honor court. Wow. I tell you that story just because I think it was formative in terms of like my um, how I think about integrity and what it really means. And how I think about also the other side of integrity, which is that uh, we all screw up. I screw up. Everybody screws up and makes mistakes. And then what does that mean for second chances and for mercy, clemency and all of those pieces uh, because of the role that I had? Sure. You know, having to decide with 400 kids per year, is this something um, that we want to send them to the honor court for that could send them home potentially? What, what type of what type of penalties or you know what what did you have as far as leverage to to uh, to use to to discipline? A- anything from um, community service and probation, academic probation to expulsion. Whoa! Holy cow! <laughs> and principal. were you a junior, or senior when you took this on, or what? Senior. Senior. Okay. So I worked. Uh, I worked as uh, both on the defense side and the prosecution side, freshman, sophomore, and junior year, and then my senior year um, had that job, and uh, we rewrote the honor code um, the year that I was uh, in the seat, and so that was an interesting process too. We said uh, uh, the famous quote was that I said you can't smell the honor on campus, mm. and so then that got picked up by all the local papers. Um, and it got picked up uh, because we were trying to bring that back because Carolina had a very rich tradition of this wow. honor system. Wow. And that had eroded some um, over the hundred years. Yeah. So how, how many people uh, through... how many people wanted to kill you on campus? <laughs> um, <laughs> That's kind of strong. That, for, for, yeah, for, for that quote, probably several alone. <laughs> uh, but, the, I think you get into um, some tough situations. So if a fraternity is brought before the honor court for oh, hazing, yeah. mm-hmm. um, not super popular, yeah. but also not cool. 
to take um, to take students and have them sit in a bathtub and make human tacos out of them. Mm. So we could talk about a lot of interesting stuff that happened or that happens on college campuses. But uh, really, my degree um, was in political science. And I think the interesting part about that is it that wasn't intentional. It happened only because I really wanted to major in the best professors. And so it happened that after taking all the best professors that I heard about, I was most of the way to a poli sci degree. And mm-hmm. so from there, I decided to just finish that so I could keep working on just taking great professors. So, so th- have a pretty eclectic background of courses that yes. I took. So think of the networking opportunities Jonathan created in, in college there, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, crazy. <clears throat> you know, the professors had to know you, right? The the you know, the, the best students had to had to know you and <clears throat> the worst students had to know you. And, and boy, you you had to deal with a lot of different personalities. That was a great lesson in networking. Well, yeah, I think that's back to the used car salesman dad. Um, he just mm-hmm. taught me the the power and the value of networking and being able to like, I know that you guys uh, think it's crazy. My wife thinks it's crazy that I'll ask the manager at Home Depot if I can get um, 10% off on a washer dryer. Mm-hmm. In the same way, I'll ask professors you know, if you were a student, who would you take? Who are the other great professors here that are really engaging that I could really learn something from agnostic of what course it is or sure. what um, what major it is? So that's why I ended up taking a class in journalism. Uh, I ended up taking a class in abnormal behavior in the psychology um, department, things that I never would have taken. Um, I took a physics course because they told me about this professor His class was called How Things Work. Mm. He would bring in um, something each week that he cut in half. So he would take a refrigerator and cut it in half and bring it in and just show (laughs) you how it worked. And then the next week he would cut. um, So every week you're walking in, you have no idea what this maniac would bring in. That's kind of cool, though. That's really cool. I don't know how a lot of different things work because Uh that's, that's how he taught. So I think in life, too. I'm still doing it. So mm-hmm. I know that, Gary, you're big on mentors, on coaches, and I'm always looking um, to have mentors or coaches and then ask them mm-hmm. who else they can introduce me to who could also mentor me or coach me um, and take it to the next level. Yeah, I'm, I'm understanding why, you know, where you got to the world you're in today as we're going to go forward and talk about that. I, you know, I get yeah. it 100%. So it's kind of funny how the, how your your upbringing, you know, really drives you to your, you know, your your passions. So, uh, you know, and, and you know, to college, what, what type of scholarship did you get or why did you get a scholarship? Were you uh, you're big, you know, big, uh, muscular, athletic dude. So you must have been a football star. You you're, uh, you know, you're, or basketball. I, you got you got those things on your ears. <laughs> yeah. and I saw some uh, maybe, yeah. maybe it's the you got the wrestling ears. You got the cauliflower ears. I mean, what got you that scholarship? So uh, good mentorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I uh, started in high school. <clears throat> My mom happened to know one of the guidance counselors mm-hmm. uh, that she pay, pay had off, gone to. Uh, pay off. Yeah, those? exactly. No, they had gone to Temple together. But so she knew one of the guidance counselors and introduced me. And I sat down with her in ninth grade. And mm-hmm. we came up with a plan for how we were going to build my academic career to set me up for scholarships. Oh, so wow. um, I actually, um, you know, just through uh, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, worked my butt off, um, had um, my social life um, probably was not the best. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I told you this, Gary. I 
graduated and I was voted next Bill Gates. And I was also voted least likely to lose his virginity. <laughs> so that that about sums up um, the dedication that I had to academics. Well, you know, well, but, well, the first one is true. The second one is not. Because, well, of course, you have kids, right? So, you know. Well, you know what? Uh, I, I like, uh, you might have been the last to have kids, don't you? <laughs> but you know what? Uh, what I like is uh, the planning. You know, that, you know, we all need to plan for success. And, and we don't, we'd all, and not many. Many of us do a very good job, myself included, right? I've learned to do more planning, and and I had a vision as a young guy, so I kind of had a vision and kind of planned sporadically and sloppily probably early on. But you know, to think of your mom, a great mentor, to bring you in front of that that uh, you know that the, these the talent in school to say, well, you know, we my son just want we just want to plan, right, son? And you're yep, 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 and you're on board, and 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 you're thinking ahead of the plan to of, to, to create the success that you expected. And then to get the buy-in from those leaders in the school, right, yeah. is is huge, right? I mean, if you do, you get the buy-in, they're going to be tell, they're going to talk to you. Hey, Jonathan, you know, you're out a little out of whack over here, dude. If you want to be, if you want that plan to be executed, man, you're a little off over here, right? So it's not just you, it's not just your mom. It's the it's the it's the what becomes the team of, of people in the school that care about you because they know that you've got this plan, right? Yeah. So in life, it's the same thing. In, in family and business, it's the same thing as we go forward. What's your plan? Because if you don't have one. You're not going to get you're you're not going to get anywhere you really think you're going to get unless you have have a, have a clear plan. Yeah, that's kudos kudos to you to your whole. I mean, they, when they say it takes a village to raise a child, I mean it's kind of true because you know that whole testament to where you're at. You know, is like like the quote. You know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's really cool to see that it came out through Jonathan. You know, is even you know it's not even about the will to win. It's about the will to prepare. It's like they prepared you for the success that you're having today. Um, which is pretty cool to even hear that. So, so that's, it's just awesome stuff. So, so tell us, uh, you know, you, you're you're in school. Then you, you you do you did pretty well there in North Carolina. What 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 was next for you? Graduated and then uh, went into investment banking. So mm-hmm. the mergers and acquisitions department. It was National City Bank before National City got bought by PNC. Mm-hmm. And so I was working in Cleveland and was working 80 to 100 hours a week. That's the typical schedule for investment banking yeah. um, when you first get started. I don't know if that ever really goes away, um, <laughs> but I did it. Uh, I worked in that for two years. So in human years, it was really four years of experience mm-hmm. uh, is the way that I like to put it. But Got to um, participate on the team with companies being sold for anywhere from 10 million to over 500 million and really got to learn what it takes to build value in a business, Mm -hmm. which is experience I wouldn't trade for anything. Without having been through that, I wouldn't be able to be doing what I'm doing now. So it was absolutely worth it. I would say what happened, though, um, are a couple of things. When... My brother-in-law, Michael, came to me at one point and said, hey, there's this company in Denver. It's a fitness franchise. And he's the gym rat in the family. Mm -hmm. And he was like, will you come to Denver with me and just check this franchise out and make sure that I'm not going to get screwed was really Mm -hmm. what happened. Yeah. So I flew with him to Denver to check out this franchise. um, And uh, on the flight home from Denver, I looked at him and I said, why don't I leave the bank and do this with you? Mm. And that was really how it happened um, because Michael had been like, you know, he looked at me one day. I went over to his house after work and I was standing in my suit 
um, on his porch. And he was like, dude, you look green. He was like, I think those fluorescent lights are turning you green because I, you know, I was working so much uh, inside in Cleveland mm-hmm. that I was never outside, wasn't getting any vitamin D, wasn't getting any sun. Uh, and I guess at that point, uh, I just decided to leave the bank. Wow. Um, how, uh, how, other, old, how old were you then, Jonathan? Uh, 25. 25 and make, making a great living for a 25 year old guy. Yeah, I mean, um, yes, investment banking is good for uh, making a lot of money uh, at any end of it. Um, I think for me, uh, when I left, uh, my boss, who's still a mentor of mine, um, Mm -hmm. Sean, when I left, he was like, it probably makes sense because you're too much of a pain in the ass to work for anybody anyways. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll never forget that. Uh, but he's still been supportive, uh, said that I was one of the the best uh, investment banking analysts he had had working for him. But again, I just have a real hard time, um, I guess, working for anybody. So that's where the entrepreneurial piece um, came about for me. So what, and I had what, that great so, opportunity to to go work with my brother-in-law. So isn't it awesome that you have a mentor that's your boss that that knows he'd love to have you stick with him because he, he yeah. kind of needs you on his team and loves you on his team, but yet he's that that great of a person and uh you know culturally you know the the right the right type of person in leadership right that says you know what something's better for you out there go after it i want you here more than anything but boy if there's something better for you personally get it right go yeah, go after I, it I, that that's absolutely right gary and i think that's um something that um i really value in leaders too is that i know he was annoyed i know sean that if you're if you ever listen to this, I know you put a ton of time into investing in me and training me, mm-hmm. like we all do with our employees, and so it can be a real bone crusher. I'm gonna play Sean. I'm gonna play. Stars. I'm gonna play <laughs> Sean. Yeah, you you little. Sh- I can't believe you did that to me. You know, I, I, I love you, and and but I can't believe you had the gall to do that to me. But go on, go on, and sorry. <laughs> No, no, sorry, sorry, dude. If um if this doesn't work out, maybe I could come back though. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I believe me, I've been there, and and I and I, yeah. everybody around me, I'll tell them the same thing, man. It, it, I love to keep. If anybody on my team, I, they're working hard. I love, I love them on our team. They, if they're serving our customers at the, at the highest level, I don't want to lose them. But if there's a better, better, better something out there for them, entrepreneurially or another organization that they, they can be a better fit in, you know, God bless them. I want them to go get it. And it's a tough, tough thing to. It's easy to stay at, right? But when it happens, it's not that easy. So. I, I also I commend think that Sean. if we if we do that the right way, mm-hmm. there's a chance that people will come back to us. Sure. Because I see this too. A lot of times, somebody's already made a decision; they're leaving, and then we show them the door um, in a way that's less than sympathetic. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, uh, a lot of times, I think people go try something else. They go try another job, or they go try something entrepreneurial, and it doesn't work out. But they don't want to go back to where they were. Um, because they're embarrassed or because it was a bad leaving. And so I think there's got to be a better way that as CEOs, as leaders, that we can do a better job of giving people a smooth bridge to the future mm-hmm. so that if it doesn't work, they can actually come back. Like when a leader can point to people that have left their team and come back, 
I think that's a real sign of success sure. because if somebody can leave and feel good enough to want to come back to you, exactly. I think that's a rare thing that's pretty damn cool. Well, again, I think that's looking above the forest again, right? The top of the trees or above the forest again, yeah. because, you know, initially right now it feels, it doesn't feel good, right? Because we got to figure out how to replace that key person and all the other things. But in the long run, I, I believe it always works out better. I'm, almost always works out better, I should say, because I, I believe your reputation as a business leader, as, as a business itself, of, of culturally those type of people, uh, in your business leading others is, is the best. And, and, it, and people hear about that. And then, and then that person may not come back as a, as a person on your team in the future, but that does happen sometimes. But, but they, they may come back as a business partner in the future, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, and you don't even know it. It's going to happen, and it does. And it's happened many times for me. So I, I believe even if you're a selfish person, you are better off not, you know, in this case, doing exactly what, you, what Sean did. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah, I'm making a note because I, I think those are great interview questions because I um, I also hate all the boring interview questions. And uh -huh. they're like the same ones we ask because we're not creative enough to ask. Um, what are, think what are some what are some boring interview questions or, or, or what question do you come up with right there based on that conversation right there? Well, I think people want to know what some boring interview questions. So they yeah, don't have to ask too. those, too. You know, oh, man, like it's like, oh, I see on your resume at your last job um, that you were there for two years. And tell me about why you left. Well, uh, it's because um, I just didn't feel like I could really grow uh, and I work so hard. Um, that I don't think it was appreciated because I was doing everybody else's work because I'm such a hard worker. Uh -huh. And so what, what I was thinking um, is that, like, can you tell me about a time when um, you left a position, but you're still in touch with your former boss uh, or you're yeah, yeah. still in touch there with people that you knew from that job? Mm -hmm. Like, what is your ability to network and maintain relationships even after a breakup? Right. Mm -hmm. um, that's good. Or like, you know, if you are a leader, if you are a boss, tell me about a time when somebody left your team, but later came back to you if you have one of those stories. Exactly. And I know it's rare, but if you're one of those leaders that's magnetic enough to pull that off, then that's somebody that I'm really interested in finding out more about because mm -hmm. I think there, there's, there may be something there. Sure. That Absolutely. was good. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, hey, t go forward with that, that gym, gym deal. Yeah, I want to know about the gym, we, you know, too. Q and I, you know, you we probably, work out. probably noticed we're, you know, we're kind of, <laughs> exactly. kind of buff, uh, you know, <laughs> not not totally, you know, but, but pretty much, uh, you know, Q and I, that's Q and I. So so you probably know uh, we, we're kind of experts on the subject, so go ahead. Let's see what you can fire at us, will you? Yeah, so um, how many push-ups do you do a day? How many oh, push-ups? I, I do, well, you know what, chin-ups are kind of a thing for me and push-ups, so you shouldn't have said this because it's going to sound like I'm bragging. Okay. Go for it. I can't say it. I can't say it. No. Uh, I, I'll, I'll do, I used to do, as, as a wrestler, I used to do anywhere from 32 to 35 pull-ups a shot and and, and, and chin-ups, chin I should say. And then now as an old guy, my goal is to get to 30, sets of 30 or more, and I've been I've been doing it for the last seven, eight months now again. Wow. And I'll do sets of 20 to 25 now. So for an old guy, that's not bad. That's really good. Right? Yeah, dude, I'll give you that. I can do maybe seven with my trainer holding my legs in the last two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have, I, have the, I have an advantage, though, over most people. I have, uh, I have stick legs. So stick legs, uh, you know, they're easy to they're easy to carry up on those oh, pull-ups. Oh, that what it is? Okay. So All my right. upper body is kind of normal, and my, my legs are stick legs, stick, stick guy legs. Yeah, so that, that's an advantage. advantage. That's the opposite of 
unfortunately. Wait, I, I, I thought he was going to say he had hollow legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, so with uh with the gyms yeah uh started when I was 25 and what we were what I was really good at was uh borrowing money to open more gyms mm. and so over five years we grew to own five of these franchises and at 30 years old um, I finally climbed a tall tree and looked around and I was 30 with 30 employees and had no idea what I was doing wow <laughs> and. Uh, so that's where we got into the whole traction thing. Um, that's where we got into that entrepreneurial operating system. I was actually learning chair for my um, chapter of the entrepreneurs organization here in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. So um, I know you know EO, but I brought in Mike Payton, who is uh, currently the guy that runs all of uh, the entrepreneurial operating system to be a speaker in Cleveland. Okay and fell in love with what he was doing. And we started to use that traction system to mm -hmm. get traction with our gyms. And then we're able to, from there, uh, grow one of our units to be the top unit out of the many hundreds of franchises of, um, of this personal training studio that existed. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was really passionate about and great at. Can you was, say, can you say the name of the of the franchise or no? Oh yeah, it's 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 still around. It's Fitness Together. Oh okay, um, all right. So still still based in Denver. I think that there's some out in Chicago. So y'all may have seen it, but uh, they're about 1,500 square feet, and the concept is all one-on-one -on -one personal training. Mm. That's all that they do. You probably, probably 1,500 square feet. They probably don't have enough uh, 45 plates for for you. GQ, yeah, man. Yeah. They probably yeah. got one treadmill. So. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, no. Yeah. So, okay. So, you, so they're, they're a, fran a franchise, national franchise. You had five yeah. of them. And, and what happened yeah. after you really uh, you know, injected e the U.S. system and traction into it? Yeah. So we grew and we grew and we grew. We had the most personal training sessions ever in the history of the franchise. Wow. We had the most units ever in the history of the franchise. We broke the revenue goals for the franchise. And it was all going great. And then the Great Recession. Oh. So 2008 hit. And uh, I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. So for the audience that's still listening, let them in on a little secret. Personal training is the worst thing that you can try to sell in a recession. Mm. Wow, that makes sense. <laughs> It is the worst. Nobody wants to buy personal training in a recession. Right. And... I didn't see it coming. I had no plan. So I spent the first couple months of the recession um, in the fetal position underneath my desk. Mm. Wow. And so that was where uh, I had to borrow money from my mother-in-law mm. in order to survive the recession. So without a plan, that was what happened. Mm -hmm. um, and so ended up borrowing a few bucks from her in order to, uh, to make it through. What did you learn through that whole experience? Uh, so, uh, well, there's a lot of different things. <laughs> hey, that's, what, that's what this podcast is for. <laughs> like the fetal system, the fetal position, the fetal position is actually kind it? of a great yoga, <laughs> yoga position as well. What else? So, uh, that's really like the whole, the whole <laughs> thing that we learned is that, uh, for recessions, they can be opportunities, but you have to have a plan. Mm -hmm. And so, really started um, through talking to my mentor, um, and that's Paul Belair. He's the co-author of the Rock the Recession book. Um, but in talking to Paul, Paul had a plan for the recession, 
So at the time that I was going into my gyms um, with or going into the recession in the gym business without a plan, uh, and we know how that worked out. I ended up borrowing a quarter of a million bucks from my mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, and the worst part is that I didn't even borrow it all at once. I borrowed it um, every two weeks. Mm-hmm. I would call her up, Quentin. I'd be like, hey. And then I would like, I would try to make some small talk. I'd be like, hey, Anne, how's it going? Uh, how, how, how are you doing? Um, and she'd be like, great. How are the grandkids? I'd be like, oh, they're you're, they're great. Everybody's we're all great. Hey, um, can I uh, payroll week again? Any chance I could maybe borrow another twenty thousand? And so it was actually twelve phone calls, mm. just oh. you know, having to ask for money. And I've paid her back at this point. Uh, and I know I'm showing you guys I'm still married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, so and now we can laugh about it. I think it, you know, it, it brought us closer together. But Did, um, you know, so, you, you had some leverage, just like when you deal with the guy at Home Depot. You had some leverage. <laughs> I'm sure you used it, like uh, the grandkids. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you you like to see the grandkids, don't you, mother-in-law? <laughs> yeah, I'm like they're. <laughs> yeah, I know it's been all... eight times now, but uh, gonna need a little more here. And the kids, uh, kids haven't seen you for two days, and I know you like to see them every day. Uh, it might be yeah. a week or two unless I get this. <laughs> yeah, I think I, right around yeah, right around uh, the eighth time, I was like, I think we're about to turn the corner. Uh, <laughs> well, you're you're right on then. <laughs> the small talk got smaller each time. Uh, but so uh, what I learned back to Quentin's question is that Paul had a plan, and that's that he had bought uh, a construction company, an HVAC business called Roth Brothers. And he and his team uh, invested a million in this company right before the Great Recession. And then they grew it using the Great Recession as fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a tough recession for contractors. So it's especially impressive to me that they were able to grow it. But they grew it over 63 months and then they sold it for over 70 million. Mm-hmm. And the way that they did that was that they switched a lot of the HVAC um, installation, like they were putting heating and air conditioning systems on top of commercial buildings. They switched it to really being a service focused company. That's not they familiar. Knew, That's yeah, not they familiar. knew they knew that in a recession, people wouldn't want to do large installs. They wouldn't have the capital and they wouldn't want to spend the money, but that they would need to keep servicing their existing heating and air conditioning systems. Mm-hmm. And so they were really the first um, or one of the first to focus on the service component and to leverage what they knew would be a trend in the recession. It's funny, and and uh, you know, Paul and I became very good friends, fast friends, after we met the first time through a YPO event, and uh, um, I think we were in Europe or something at the time, right? at, at a at a construction roundtable in uh, Sweet in Sweden, in the Stockholm. Anyway. But uh, we just couldn't uh, break apart from you. Every time we see each other, we'd, we'd connect and start talking more about what we're doing and what we've, what we've done in our, in our business. But we had exactly the same, exactly the same mentality, and that's, we've talked about this here as well, Jonathan, where if we didn't switch to maintenance and maintaining parking lots uh, across the country instead of construction, we, would, we wouldn't be in business uh, today. Yeah. I mean, we, maybe, maybe we'd be in a new business today. We'd have you know, claimed bankruptcy and started something else by now, but... Um, either way, our business that like that was there wouldn't be there. You know, wouldn't have wouldn't have stood the uh, the test of time, because new construction went down eighty percent, not 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 percent in every market we we're in. 
and and we were totally we were ninety five percent maintenance at that point and and maintenance before that point was not a glorious business even today I could grow our we, we can grow our businesses three to five times the size they are today in a short period of time if we focused on new construction and we still do not do it because we know that in tough times that business will not be there and so I, I love where we're going because I know a, a, a little bit about your success and where it's gone now. Um, so, so if you can, uh, go into, uh, well, you talk, you talk about that book anytime cause I, we got, we got to get this book and read it because he's, you know, two of our good friends wrote it and I know it's a great one. Um, but if you can talk about, uh, maybe where you ended that, that, the, the gym business and how you got into, you know, further now in the EOS and traction and, and now the recession world and, and speaking and all the things you do now. Sure. So the, with the, with the gyms, we got through the great recession, uh, because my mother-in-law, uh, you know, loaned me the money and we've been able to pay her back in early 2017. I, uh, well, I'll back up a year, um, in 2015 and 16, uh, friends, uh, asked me if I would start doing some consulting with their businesses mm -hmm. to help them to install the entrepreneurial operating system. And so really, I know that earlier we talked about how I usually have a plan for things. I actually did not have a plan to do this. So it just a couple of friends asked me, they were like, hey, we know what you've done in your business. Uh, can you help us just um, get started with doing it in ours? So I did. And then uh, I discovered that that's what I was really passionate about and not about fitness. So I wish I could say um, that I'm like Howard Schultz and I love coffee and the, felt the same way about fitness, but I did it. My brother-in-law is the gym rat. He was the one that's into fitness. He's the personal trainer in the family. He knows how to do um, 30 chin-ups. And more importantly, he knows how to get um, guys like me to be able to do 30 chin-ups. Um, and so that that's really, he wakes up every morning excited to help people reach their fitness goals. Mm -hmm. That was not what got me out of bed in the morning. But what I did love is how do you get other business owners to be able to get to the top of their game. Mm -hmm. Like I know uh, if I just work hard enough, I can do it in my business. What I really love though, is the challenge of how do I coach somebody else to do it? Because mm -hmm. then I can't do it for them. How do I teach somebody else to fish? How can I lead them to do it instead of doing it myself? And so by early 2017, I had a tough conversation with my brother-in-law where he came to me and it was like, look, man, you're hardly in this business anymore. Why don't you just let me buy you out of this business and you can go be full-time doing consulting work. Mm -hmm. And so that's what really happened. And the uncomfortable part there was really um, cutting, um, cutting the line and just being completely off on my own mm -hmm. and not having that business to go back to. But um, for him, it's a great retirement vehicle for him and his family. I understood that. And for me, uh, I did that in early 2017. So since then, um, now I just do this full time. So running around the country consulting for mostly contractors are most of the companies I work for. And like I said, I work with about 20 different companies at a time, see them each once a quarter. So about 100 days a year, I'm doing traction um, with companies helping them figure out how to structure their businesses for growth is really the focus. Mm -hmm. And then two years ago, what was going on is that uh, I, I was worried because most of my companies, most of my book of business are contractors. And I know that recessions 
are especially tough on contractors, mm-hmm. not just the last recession, not just the Great Recession, but like you mentioned earlier, most recessions are tough because a lot of new construction, a lot of install work does go away in a recession. Yep. And so even if it's not as bad as the Great Recession is, people don't tend to build new homes um, in recessions. Absolutely. Um, offices, uh, corporations don't tend to expand and build new headquarters in recessions. Even if they have the cash, the issue is also optics. You don't want to be building a brand new office um, in a time when everybody else is losing money and having a hard time. It just doesn't look good. So in a lot of cases, that work goes away. So I started to put together some exercises um, with Paul to help all my clients just get ready for the next recession. That was it. We, we looked online, we looked on Google, we looked on Amazon, we put in recession, we couldn't find any workbooks, we couldn't find any book books on recessions. <laughs> and so we were like, well, either this is a really stupid idea or um, we just need to do it. So Paul and I uh, actually started, we put together a workbook on how to help companies rock the recession. The angle was never really how do you survive it? But it's how um, could you look forward to a recession? What would you need to do now that you would put yourself in a position to be excited for a recession because of the opportunities that it'll bring? Absolutely. Now, and 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 and, you know, we talk a lot about differentiation here too, Jonathan. And and what you've done, we had had you speak at a great uh, conference in D.C. not long ago in front of a bunch of you know mid-sized to large business leaders in construction and at, at, at the global construction network roundtable we had in DC did an awesome job and and people you know loved loved where you're going with this and 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 you know to do 20 businesses like, as you're saying this is a lot of work man you know we we do EOS and it takes a lot to prepare for it um, we we've been doing it for a few years and we're having amazing amazing uh, good fortune because of the organization the organizational um, uh, glue I think it creates between the visionary and and the operational system you know, you know operational system in place and the operators of the of of the business right so we've had we've had great great uh, um, results with it as as you know um, but you're you're offering some pretty cool differentiation because this is in common that the EOS uh, you know, the the person you have you you trust to lead the EOS system and uh, actually is doing doing much more and and saying man our I'm not sure you're recession proof. Uh, you know, can we talk about that? And and if you can help them do that, now you're totally separating f- from all the other, you know, consultants, EOS or otherwise that I know because I and I and I've read I've read many books on on you know operational systems other than this one and and uh, organizational systems and and yeah they they'll touch on recession proof and stuff but not really go into depth on it. So what you're t- you're providing is huge differentiation and I commend you because it's uh, that's what's going to really catapult your success even you're one of the bigger ones in the space in nowadays uh but you're gonna you're gonna, it's gonna be awesome to watch where you go with this so conti- well, look, I, continue I, on I, what's a nugget what's something you've seen you know, you've discovered already with a, with a company or two i i appreciate it. i mean i know what i love about the format of your uh, your podcast gary is it gives us a chance to go more in depth so i'm going to give you an exclusive because we don't usually get into this but i think one of the things is that this project selfishly is my recession plan. Yeah, I no. mean, thinking through, thinking through being a consultant, um, EOS, all the traction implementers, we've actually never been through a recession since the book was published mm-hmm. um, after the last recession. 
And so it's really grown since then. But I'm thinking in a recession that this is one of the first things that'll go uh, because consultants as a group tend to be the group that goes first when companies are making cuts. Sure. And so if a company isn't growing, having a high priced exterior outside consultant to help out with, that's um, not the best position to be in. So for me, it's just thinking through, if I'm the recession consultant though, I'm probably pretty protected because the company is going to want me mm -hmm. on board. I'm going to be the last thing to go. Absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah, not, not so, just the last to go. You're going to get a lot of calls as well. Well, yeah. So I think it's a hedge. So mm -hmm. already um, since, um, I mean, I think the yield curve inverted back in July. And so we know that generally when the yield curve inverts, it, it doesn't even matter if the audience knows what that means or not, except that it is our best recession indicator. Um, it's helped to predict the seven um, prior recessions that we've had. So knowing that we likely have a recession coming up in the next six months, the next year, the next two years, it doesn't matter what the time frame is. It's really just a hedge against that. Is it, isn't, part people, of, isn't part of that, Jonathan, where the, the long-term interest rates uh, do the reverse that they're, they're expected to do, that long-term interest rates get to be worse than the short term? Is that right? Exactly, exactly. So the, when the yield curve inverts, it just means that usually, like if you just think about if um, somebody, if, if Gary, if you loan Quentin money mm -hmm. and you loan Quentin that money and you're like, you can pay me back in a year, you're going to want a higher interest rate than if you loan Quentin some money and he's going to pay you back in a week. Mm -hmm. If he's going to pay you back in a week, you're probably like, don't even worry about any interest. I don't, you know, that's crazy. I don't sure. care. If it's a year though, you're like, okay, I could have put that money to work. I could have had it in my savings account. I could have earned some interest on it. Exactly. So you got to give me some interest. So when you're charging Quentin more to um, loan him money for a week than you are for a year, that's called an inversion in the yield curve. Exactly. Mm. So that's what we saw back in July is that the U.S. government, you know, was willing, we were paying more on um, short-term debt than long-term debt. And I can explain it, all the economic um, geekery behind why that happens in an economy. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't even matter, though. You should just know that yep. that's a signal to the world that there's further that there's economic um, disruption coming in the future. And generally, we know it's like a six to 18 month window mm. after we see that first inversion. And that happened back in July of this year for the first time. So let's say if I was a business right now, doesn't matter what business you can name the business or name the industry. And uh, I was to call you and say, hey, listen, uh, I saw that um, I want to be recession proof, if you will. Um, you know, what will probably be some of the first thing not and they should buy the book. They should definitely buy your, you know, <laughs> yeah, they yeah, should yeah. Go, but what, yeah. but you know, what would probably be some <laughs> things to give them right now for them to kind of just kind of check to see what, you know, how can they become recession proof when that time comes? Yeah, look, I, I want everybody to buy the book, but they can just go to recession.com. And yes, that really is my website. But you go to recession.com. On recession.com, it's free. You can take um, our assessment. So Paul and I created a 20-question recession readiness assessment. And it takes five to 10 minutes. It will tell you how ready you are as a business leader, uh, how ready your company is on a scale of zero, to 100 versus everybody else that's taken the assessment. And so far, what we're seeing is that the average score is a 38. Mm. So if you go take it and your score is above a 38, you're more ready than everybody else that's taken it, less than 38, less ready. 
And then you can get some tips um, on what you should do to start improving your score. And that's really what the book is about. The book mm -hmm. just goes through the 20 questions we ask and says, if you're green on this question, here's what you should do to be ready for the next recession. If you're yellow, if you're red, then this is what you should do and this is what you should do. Sure. And so that's really, um, that's the first step is just benchmark where you are. It's to assess and figure out your situation. That's step one. No, the way the way I think of it, Jonathan, the way I thought of it in the early two thousands, when I when I was hit with a, just a little bit of a, a recession and some issues in my business prior to that, was was how do I surround myself with the customers that are that are busier or as busy in tough times as in good times, right? And and yeah. I and I looked at you know I looked at McDonald's and I looked at Walmart and I looked at I looked at uh, you know the, all, all the different retail businesses that I, that I believed right would be busy in tough times. I did a little bit of history on these businesses as well this, to to prove that they were, and and they became my targets in business. And then I said I'm not going to do new construction for them. I want to do maintenance for them. I want to I want to be the leader in maintenance to serve them when when they when in their in their in the dirtier businesses right. Con new construction is kind of sexy for us. So so again, but I, but I, so we went after maintenance instead of the what we thought was a sexier business. And it, and it worked out really well in 2008, 9, 10, where we grew more than ever. But but you know, I, so I think there's probably some combinations, right, Jonathan, where it's it's and you're and you're doing it right now, and I love it, where you're you're guiding your 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 partners that that you're consulting to, making them more recession proof. So you're doing business, and if they don't, Jonathan, you almost got to say, boy, you know, if if these couple of companies don't get their stuff together, they're not going to be good customers, and they're not going to be there for me in the recession. If you can replace them with somebody else. You're probably more, you know, better off yourself, right? Yeah, I. So, yes, I agree with everything you're saying. And then I'm looking in the book right now on page 171. I give a table of the industries that grew or held steady in the recession, mm -hmm. uh, in the Great Recession, and the ones that got pummeled. So, like for example, if you're um, in construction and you're building jewelry stores or you're doing work for four-year universities or casinos, mm -hmm. then you got to start to think about repositioning sure. because those industries do not do well in recessions. Mm -hmm. Neither do hotels and motels. So if you're building hotels and that's 100% of your book, then you mm -hmm. need to be thinking through what that looks like for you if those projects get shuttered in a recession, if they lose their financing. On the other hand, uh, things like... Um, information, so building data warehouses, things like guns and ammo, things like grocery stores or mm. community colleges, those all bump up in a recession. Right. I, and I like veterinary services. And the reason I really like that is because you're probably thinking to yourself right now, like, what, what is he talking about? Mm -hmm. People still take care of their pets in a recession. Sure, sure. And so <laughs> if you're building those little veterinary clinics that we're seeing pop up all over the place, you're probably in a good spot because those are cash businesses. They're not even mm. insurance. Yeah. And people, um, if your dog gets sick, you're still going to take them to the emergency vet. So I think people just need to think through and do a little bit of homework. Sure. Right now, that tortilla business is booming. Again, I know that's a weird one. But as we think through, um, tortillas are popular. They're growing in popularity. In a recession, I think people eat more or uh, even more burritos. <laughs> so if you're doing work with tortilla manufacturers, then you've got to feel good about what that is. But so, 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 is so less less investment in the in the seafood business and uh, a <laughs> little more in the tortillas. I like that. <laughs> right, is exactly. 
if, if you're doing uh, oysters and lobster shucking, uh, you got to be really thinking through what what is that going to look like? Uh-huh. Well, this is something actually I one of the other podcasts with Paul Darley. He talks about like innovation doesn't have to be radical. You remember when he was talking about how he used to have the glass with the water and then it turn into a box, turn into a box. And it's the small things. And that's yeah. kind of what you're saying as well. Like, you know, if, if you're if you just look at what industry you're involved in, you might want to figure out how to innovate. Or pivot, right? Just pivot just a little bit so you can um, get through that, um, get through this recession opportunity. So, and, and, not, and I mean, not, not just through a rocket, rocket, rocket like that's right. Saying. Now get through it, rocket, because you can. Because you're, if you can, if you can rock the recession, as Jonathan's saying, you're going to come out of it so much stronger. And then, and Jonathan, I know you think this way because in traction we think this way a lot, and 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 uh, EOS. And I know you're you're one of the, the leading people in this in this in this world of, of EOS. Um, but you know, we today look at enterprise value appreciation on an annual basis, and, and we say, you know, profits are great, and and all this all this innovation is great, and growth is great, and the amount of trucks we have out there, hey, that's cool, right? Not so much anymore to me, but right. it used to be, you know. So now, so now it's like, um, if we, if, if, what only thing that really matters is, are we growing our our are we appreciating our enterprise value, right? And and when when you as that as that young uh, uh, private equities uh, guy that you were, right? When you're looking at businesses, what are you looking at? You're looking at what you know. What's what's the value of the business? And the value there, there's multipliers that that apply to recession proof, of course, and 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 getting through the toughest time. If the if the if the business had a history of up ups and downs that that correlated with the recession, big problems. Now, it might some might look at that as an opportunity. But many don't want to, you know, to, to fix that that problem. They'd rather have a business that that got through the recession super strong. So the value add to that business in, in an outside party looking at a business, or the value add to the equity holders in the business, even if it never sells, is enormous, right? And that's and I think that's that's what we got to think about, right? Not just getting through it, but but rocking it. I love it. I love it, right? Yeah, at, at its simplest, it's like when people are looking at valuing a company, a lot of it is a risk assessment. Mm-hmm. And so what we're talking about here in large part is how do I mitigate the downside in a recession? And then also, how can I 10x my business using this massive opportunity? And look, since World War II, we've had 11 recessions. They've lasted on average 11 months. The shortest one back in 1980 was six months. The Great Recession back in 2008 was 18 months. As we look forward to the next recession, you can hustle and grind and hopefully at some point realize whatever your dream outcome is. Or if you position yourself correctly, then the recession can offer you massive opportunities to be able to leapfrog past that period of having to hustle and grind for 30 years or 40 years to ultimately get to what you want. Mm-hmm. Why do we always have to make it so hard? And why does everything these days have to be about your only option is to try really, really hard for a really long time to get to where you wanna go? And that's why I think that if we look forward to a recession, if you can rock it, then you can have that dream outcome like Paul did, mm-hmm. investing a million 63 months later, selling it for over 70 million. And look, I get it. Not everybody's goal is to make a fantastic amount of money. Totally cool. Although in most of the life plans that I am a part of that I see, having financial freedom Mm -hmm. is a big part of it to allow us to move past that stage of Maslow's hierarchy 
to then go on to realize other things. And whether it's just so that you can Scrooge McDuckett with all of your money (laughs) or you can be fantastically generous and give it all away, a lot of it does start with the financial freedom piece. And recessions, I'm looking at, I'm so jacked up about it because I just see them as a big opportunity and they don't come around that often. So Mm -hmm. we got to be ready for it. And if you're like me and you don't have a plan, they only last 11 months. You're going to miss it. Mm. I love it. I love it. You know, and, and Q, uh, we're going to take this and we're going to write our own book. We got to figure it out though. We're going we're gonna, to just going to be almost exactly like theirs, I'm sure, right? <laughs> but but we're, we might call it. I mean, we're going to catch a different audience. It's going to. It might be rapping the recession. It could be hip hop in the recession. Oh, I like that one. And hip-hop. it could it could be jazz in there, jazzing the recession, yeah, yeah. right? But we can we can we can twist uh, do it a little twist uh, off no, this. No, no, no. I'll, I'll yeah. help you out, Gary. You can have um, crush the crash, crush or the you crash. can have dodge the downturn. Uh, you know we're dancing, we're dancing we're, we're guys dancing. here. You know we got to figure something out that uh, you know it's got some some beat to it. I, I, those, those, those you stole rocking. I'm a, I'm a I'm a rocker, and you stole rocking already. But we got you know he's a hip hopper, and, uh, and, right. and I can get into you know a little bit of rap. I think so. We're, we're going to come up with something. But no, that's awesome. I, I think it's gonna it's gonna kick butt, and we're gonna we're gonna get a we're gonna get a bunch of these books and. Uh, and and first read it. And I, I know the story, so I know it's going to be a good. I know your story and Paul, so I know it's going to be a great one. Then we're going to we're going to get these out to people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when when we look at uh, your your values today, I know you see lots of company, you know, core values of companies on a consistent basis, and you're you're helping them probably, you know, if they're going to change a core value here or there, and you're probably doing all the exercises for them, and whether they're new core values or they're re- rehabbing their core values. You, you, you know, you personally uh, and your business, uh, Jonathan, what do you look at as far as your core values? Yeah. So uh, you all know the word lanyap? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so lanyap uh, is a French Creole word. Um, it comes from the New Orleans area referring to that 13th donut in a baker's dozen. Mm, It really means a little something extra that you weren't expecting. Mm -hmm. And so for me, Lanyap is one of my core values. I'm always trying to deliver for my clients, for my family, for my audiences, a little something extra that they weren't expecting. So uh, that's a big one. And I love that you guys have never heard of that word because it gives me a chance to tell that story and to just explain where I'm coming from. And so I think that's a lot of the book. It's a lot of my keynote addresses. It's a lot of how I approach doing traction with the teams I work with is what can I do that they're not expecting to give them a little something extra, Mm. a little something fun that's unexpected to really make the experience um, a top-notch experience. And I know that that's something with your paving business that you're always looking at, Gary, is just, you know, and. I like about construction that it's so easy because construction has such low expectations that if we can just um, give somebody a little something extra they weren't expecting, it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so giving people more than they than they might have thought they paid for, right, is 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 a great way to look at it. I mean, we call it delivering exceptional experiences, and if everybody in our team can be delivering exceptional experiences to each other as 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 teammates or to our vendors and to our customers, that you know it it. It's a culture of, of uh, you know, of success because everybody's saying, hey, how do I do a little more? And, and boy, if your customer can feel that, you're going to keep them for a long time. I love it. Uh, I want uh, I want to be courageous. And by that, I mean, I want to go for um, disruptive growth. And when I say courageous, I mean, I'll only know that I'm really living that value when sometimes I miss 
and make a big mistake. Mm-hmm. So that's when when I pushed it too far and then I have to pull it back a, a, a couple feet. That's where I want to be living, sure. because until I've done that, until I've broken it, I don't know that I was actually pushing the limits. Right. And so uh, my wife, again, if, if she were here, she would tell you that when I am at Home Depot asking them for a little something off the price, that sometimes I go a little too far and they uh, they get frustrated and then I got to back it off a little. I'm like, all right, all right, all right, all right. I know, I know. She'll be like, man, why did you have to ask them to throw in installation? They already yeah. agreed to give you 15% off. Just let it go. Or honey, and I'm like, or honey, next I'm time, like, oh, no, no. Yeah. honey, next time you see that grown man cry, please just just let off just a little bit. <laughs> oh, that's funny. What so what else? I, what else on the corner? Anything else? Yep. Yeah, so um, for me, um, it's be courageous. Be courageous. It's Lanyap, and the other one is going for 10x improvement. Mm-hmm. So trying to think of things that. Um, take it so far. Like, so a lot of people think incrementally and they think, you know, how can I get from where I am now to maybe make my income a little bit better? Mm -hmm. Or how can I get from where I am and save up a little bit more? But if you start to think, what does it have to be so that I could actually add a zero Mm -hmm. so that I could 10 exit? What would I have to do differently? I just love that mindset. Absolutely. Because that means you can't just try a little bit harder. Like I, sure. I feel like a lot of problem solving sessions with strategic planning, a lot of the solutions are around, well, if we could get people to just try a little bit harder, then we could do a little bit better. And I don't think that that's, um, that's very sporting. What's mm. the fun in that? Like, what if we had to get somebody to be able to make 10 times as many Big Macs in a day, then what would have to happen to our technology, to our process, um, to everything that we do? What if somebody had to put down 10x as much pavement, how would we have to think differently about the business versus what if I was just trying to get somebody to work a little bit faster? Sure. I love, I so love those, it. So those are the big ones for me. That's really good. And, and I, I, I like the simplicity of three, you know, three also. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, we have totally. friends I'm, that come up I'm, with 10 or, or seven and we're at five and, and I think that's stretching it. That's a little too much, but it, we couldn't we couldn't get it down less than five, right? But but three, three, three is or awesome. Four max is where I like to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's five, I hope you guys have a cool mnemonic to just help people remember it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've got a story about it, but uh, not everybody has okay. a story straight, so we need to work on that. So thanks for reminding me of that, Jonathan. Cool. More work to do. <laughs> yeah, well, he's trying to help you ten x yourself. That's <laughs> yeah. what he's trying That's to true. do. <laughs> You're right. Um, so so again, when you, uh, you you look at the uh, the success you've had and 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 the things you've done, uh, you know. Do you attribute any of this to this free enterprise system and the ability to, um, you know, to, to, to visualize things and create in this, this, uh, this America we know today? Yeah. So in talking, I've had the opportunity to do, uh, to do podcasts. Um, I'm thinking about South Africa right now mm-hmm. um, and was on that show. And what I understand is that they face incredible challenges, even in um, a country that is more developed um, than many other countries in the world. But one of those is that um, their politicians um, are in such a place that they actually have load shedding, meaning that they don't have electricity 100% of the time. Um, Is that your dog uh, messing up the place there or what? Yeah, my dog uh, decided to just come into the office for, uh, she's making a cameo on our podcast. I love it. Uh, so 
She, uh, but so when we talk about the fact they don't have, um, they can't use the internet 100% of the time because Mm -hmm. there are certain hours of the day that they can even be online. It just reminds me how lucky we are to be in this country and to have the opportunity that we have. I mean, what if on top of everything else you're going through, Gary, you had to think about, well, tomorrow I'm only going to have access to the internet for three hours. What am I going to do in that window of time? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, it's so... Uh, omnipresent now in our lives. And there's so many things that we just don't even think about um, because of how fortunate we are because of where we are. Mm-hmm. And we take that for granted. And I think to bring it back to recessions, people are always asking me, what's the one thing um, with recessions? Why? What's going on? It comes down to this. It's complacency. And right now we have been in a period of over 10 years of prosperity Many entrepreneurs have never known a recession. Many businesses have never even been through a recession and people are complacent. And so what can we do now to plan for a time in the future um, that might not be as prosperous as what we're currently going through? And I hope that people never even need to use the plan. But we didn't even talk about the fact that even if you're listening to this um, And you're like, you know, I don't even think there's going to be a recession. Uh, I think that the Federal Reserve will prevent us from being in one. Every business has recessions, even if they're non-economic. So if you lose your biggest client, you're in a recession. Absolutely. If your five best employees leave and they go across the street and start another paving company, you're in a recession. That's right. Yeah. You know, if you if you discover how about this, uh, we hear about this all the time in YPO, right? Or EO, somebody embezzles a million bucks from you or from your company. Hello, recession. You're in a recession. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. do you have a plan for what you're going to do agnostic of whether or not it's economic or non-economic? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And there will be a recession in our country, whether it's, uh, you know, next year or five years or 10 years, it's going to happen. And 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 you're, you're, anybody you know is is fooling themselves if they if they're not thinking that way and and I, you know your your uh, complacency uh, you know complacency kills I, you know business kills any any relationships in the long run <clears throat> whether it's you know us and our wives whether it's our us and our our friends uh, us in business our our states and their and their tax systems right complacency yeah. kills every good thing and and again if, if we're not on our toes ready for that recession boy, you know what? Be ready to get your butt kicked. Right. So I, I love where you're going. I love what you're doing. It's awesome. And and uh, I can't wait to read your book. I, and I've, I've been wanting to read it. And now I, I got to get it soon. Um, you know, rock the recession. And I love it. Yeah. Um, what, what, any, anything else, uh, you know, any closing thoughts, um, <clears throat> you know, when it, when it comes to, is there anything else in your life? Is it, is there any faith that, that, that guides you? A lot of your principles are, are principles that I look at that, that I've, I've, uh, I believe in through, you know, faith and stuff. Is there anything there in your life that you, that you uh, look to? Yeah. So the, not so much on the, the faith or spirituality side, I would say for me, um, the, the closing thought is really related to how do you rock your life? So mm-hmm. if we took these same ideas, uh, and by the way, um, that's the next book that I want to put together, is how could we do life planning to really help you prepare to take your life to the, the 10x level? What would mm-hmm. that have to look like? And I think that you know we spend so much time planning for the holidays for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for Hanukkah, for whatever you believe in, mm-hmm. or even agnostic of that, planning for our daughter's weddings. 
And we don't spend any time, at least I don't hear about it a lot, planning our lives. So that's really my bedrock. And that's only because of my mentors, really starting with Paul 10 years ago. That was what he first guided me on was having a life plan and creating uh, that system for me that's my North Star. So that when I have a bad day, when I have a bad week, when I lose a client, when I need to figure out how I want to pivot in my business or my personal life, that I've got that plan written down somewhere. And for me, it's actually, um, you can see it behind me on this big ass whiteboard, um, mm -hmm. is my life plan. Um, so that it's front and center for me and for my wife since we share this office mm -hmm. so that we can always be checking in on that. I love it. I love it. So, so Q ends up uh, always. Uh, oh man, I got some good stuff. Q's nuggets here, and yeah. uh, let's talk. Let's go. Oh wrap man, those I up, got buddy. some really, really good uh, Quentin's true takeaways from you for you guys from Jonathan. First, wrap your core values in a different way. The way you started that off, I was like, oh, that's actually pretty good. You know, the porta potty and you know all of that <laughs> from that perspective but uh you you said something that was really amazing i hope you all caught it sometimes you have to cut the bait and move on and that's huge that is definitely huge when mm -hmm. it comes to business absolutely uh recessions recession can be an opportunity but you must have a plan but more importantly you can rock the recession by pivoting which is extremely key and you've showed that multiple times i love this and i've never heard the word before do your best to land yap you guys do your best to land yap sometimes the extra that they don't expect gets you there uh, mentorship can help you in all plans of your life but more importantly for you guys how do you rock your life listen to me all of our listeners listen to me how do you rock your life make sure you honor the court or Jonathan will expel you. All right. <laughs> so we appreciate you, Jonathan. Thank you so much, man. Jonathan, awesome job. We really appreciate your time today, brother. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon because uh, I, I, we we run into some of the same uh, same same uh, paths and stuff. So I, I really appreciate everything you've done here today to be with us. And people are going to get a ton out of this, man. Absolutely. And we'll see you all next time on Ditch Digger CEO. See ya. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. We're blessed to build a business in America where soldiers fight for our freedom every day. Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck rolling down highway. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans, then I became the CEO man.